Okay, welcome to the Jacob Bowlers podcast, everyone. I have a very special guest here today on their birthday. Um, this is Father Alejandro Lopez. Now, this this man has been my parish priest for about eight years now, and on Saturday Sunday, he is leaving Australia and going back to the states. But in the time that he spent here in Australia at a parish at a Lady of Rosary Kellyville. He's had a massive impact, and it's been an absolute pleasure in getting to know him. And I'm just so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, and I'm a very excited to be here. Thank you, Mr. Jacob Bullos. Padre? Philosopher. Oh, what can I say? <laughs> yeah. I have my first question, as always, on the podcast mm. is, what is wisdom to you? All right. Well, uh, I was thinking about this, even though I did not get a list of questions from you, as promised. Uh, the question is, what is wisdom? And... I think the question you need to ask, what you need to think about is, what, wh- where do you get wisdom? Uh, wisdom is not the same as knowledge, and I think oftentimes it's confused. I don't know if the other podcast people have talked about this at all. Stop me if they have. Have you asked other people this question? I've asked other people this question. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. knowledge is something that you can get by going to the library and picking up an encyclopedia or going on Google and asking Google questions about certain things, and you get facts. Wisdom is different. So, what would you say is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? If you can understand that, then you'll understand where you get wisdom. Are you, are you asking? I'm asking you. Okay. Well, I guess... As, as a teacher, I always... I, uh, I bow to the great Socrates who said that the students already have the answers within them. Okay, so we're so, doing this, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess from, from what I kind of know, knowledge is, is this surface level kind of thinking, but, but, but wisdom, wisdom is like, it, it's, it's thoughts that have this, this kind of quality to them that impacts your life and allows you to make decisions yes, that, are, that are good. That's true. So where do you get this wisdom? Who would you turn to? That's maybe the answer that you need. Who do you turn to to get this wisdom? Well, for me, for me personally, yeah. I took I turned to to something higher above myself, like, beyond myself. Like, can you give me an example? Who? Like for me, I turned to like God or to Christ, or okay. I turned to meditation. I turned to just nature. Okay, but I'm talking about people. Oh, people! What people okay. are your wise wisdom figures? For example, like my wisdom figures. I guess, I guess. I turned to I turned to my sister and my 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 brother-in-law. I turned to my my friends. I turned to like like an like an. All right, let me a, ask you uh, a more uh, specific question. In history, who are the wisdom figures that you would see like in stories? For example, Star Wars. Oh, the wise old man. That's it. Okay. All right. Okay. And why are they the wisdom figures? Why would you turn to a wise old man and not a young man for wisdom? That's the question. Because what has the wise old man have that the young man doesn't have? The wise old man... Like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like Obi-Wan... He has, he has experience. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you get wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge of knowing facts and figures. Wisdom is drawing from your own life your experiences. And I think that's what's sorely lacking in our culture today because people have been taught not to trust their own experiences or they trust and overly trust it's either one or the other so you have a lot of catholics for example today 
they come to church, they want answers. They want to turn, and they don't want to make the decisions themselves. They will often turn to the priest and have the priest give them the answer about what to do. Father, what should I do in this case? They do that all the time in confession. They'll come to confession and say, Father, I'm not here for confession. I'm here, I just need to ask you this question. And then they ask you the question, and you're like, well, what do you think? Well, I don't know. I'm asking you, Father. It's like, well, I throw it back at them. I don't know their story enough to be able to make a decision for them. They have the answers within them, but they don't trust enough because the church has all along been telling them, don't trust your own instincts. And especially, no offense to Protestant listeners, Protestants have a very low uh, opinion of the human person as being good, and therefore they don't trust their own. That's why they say only trust the Bible. You can trust the Bible, you can't trust your own human uh, experiences, which is kind of ironic because their church comes out of the human experience of Martin Luther (laughs) and his own experiences of the church and his own thinking about what should be right and wrong. It's just very strange. But for us also as Catholics, I mean, we don't have that basis of trusting your own self. And when you don't have that, you're kind of missing out on something. It's not that you are the only person who is to come up with this idea of whatever it is you're supposed to do. That can't be it either because you don't live in isolation. We all live in a community of people and what we do affects everyone around us. It's that you can't not have that as part of the answers to your questions about how to live your life. You've got to have an experience. Your own experiences have to play into the answers to what should you do next. Does that make sense? Wow. So wisdom itself comes from our own experiences and reflecting on those experiences and drawing out conclusions from what has happened. And a lot of people, I think this day and age, they don't take the time to do that. They're too rushed. They're too going on to the next thing or whatever, or you know, turning to Google for answers or somewhere else outside of themselves. You, we all have answers in us. If we believe that the Holy Spirit's within us, which is true, that means that truth must be within us too about the world and how the things are. And it may not be the same truth that, so, truth will always be truth, but how it's applied may not be the same in your life as it is in someone else's. Mm, okay. So how, what you do may be different than what somebody else does, and they both are within the plan of God for you and salvation and, and whatever. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. So I guess the question then that I would ask is, is how come some people go through life with, with experiences, they have experiences, and, and yet when it comes down to it, some people learn, learn more than others or feel wiser than, than others what is, what's and, and say you, you know you have a sense of experience within how come sometimes we don't want to follow what's within well a lot of times the things that we're called to do are difficult and the person will always try to do the things that are the easiest just because that's how we're made we we you know we come from a primitive animal background in a way with the uh, cavemen and women and things like that. And for survival, you do what's fastest, easiest, and, and get you the most food kind of thing. <laughs> and that's what we're still built in, I think. We still have that within us. And so oftentimes we don't want to do the things that are difficult. When we reflect, I think, on those things that in our lives have been the most difficult, what we see, 
and maybe I'm being idealistic, is that those are the things in which the most growth has happened in us. For example, and I don't want to just point to me, but this is my experience, okay? We're talking about my experiences. My experience of coming to Australia was very difficult. When I first got here, I never imagined that I would be here eight years. I mean, I thought it might have happened, but I thought, well, I was counting the days from the beginning as to when I would be going home. Uh, now, I'm dreading the days coming ahead because I don't want to leave, you know? And looking back on it, I see that this period of difficulty of getting here and has helped me to maybe grow as a person, learning that the world is different than what I imagined, uh, and growing in my heart and the sense of falling in love with people here uh, and the place. And uh, uh, in the future, if I were ever given this opportunity to live in another country, I would be probably more open to it than I was in the past because of my experiences. So that's the growth. Uh, would I do it again? Uh, I would have to see. I mean, I'm doing it now in the sense of going back to the United States eight years later after I left it. It's a completely different country almost in terms of the way people are there and, you know, the violence and the guns and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm doing it in terms of going back again to a place that's very different from what I left and I don't know anything there in terms other than my family and friends and things like that but you just did that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what the question was but what was the question? <laughs> I think, I think the, <laughs> well it was it was um, the question was how 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 is it that that some people follow their wisdom yeah and some you know I don't know. I mean, I, all I know is that when I find out that something is what God wills for me, and it, it's usually, I'm talking about big decisions, right? Then there's really no other choice but to do it. I don't feel like I have a choice. To be true to who I am, I've got to do what this answer to my question was. And if I don't, then I will feel very uh, disappointed in myself, maybe, or I'll feel like I, I'll have let down someone who uh, has given me everything, in a way, in terms of God, is what I'm talking about. Okay, so so in, in that in that way, do you believe that, or do you, do you feel as though what what people could use more of is is understanding? God's will or understanding what what is willed. I think, and I wouldn't put it that way because not everyone sees things as we do as Catholics, but I think what I would say is we all have certain paths that um, would be the best to follow. And I think our job is to figure out what those paths are. I think God works with us wherever we go. And I don't think there's a necessarily just one right answer. But everything that we do has effect has a cause and effect and when it's when it's um something serious like you know going to another country or whatever you think about your own life and the choices that you've made in terms of college and uni and what you're going to study and all that kind of stuff it's going to change depending on what your major is and where you're going to end up um every one of us has that and i think we're called I can't. I don't think you can just float around. I think you've got to ask those questions, and those are hard questions to answer sometimes. And it requires a lot of prayer and quiet, meditation, reflection, and thinking about the past, asking people around you, "What do you think?" and then seeing what happens. 
Mm-hmm. And then feeling along the way, how do I feel inside when these things, I'm going through these things? Is it positive or negative? Should I, you know, and it could be a mix between all of that. It could be all of it all at once. Right. So it's a really an internal, an internal discovery and reception sort of. Yes, but you always have to go outward as well because you may not be accurate in your perspective and you only have a perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Your perspective. You're coming from a certain place, looking out from a certain point of view. You don't see all of it. You need other people around you to help you to see the whole picture and you will never see all of it necessarily in this world. You don't know how your future is based on what you're doing right now. You can only estimate or guess what, what will happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I guess my next question is is that is it is it possible like is it possible for people to to make mistakes and and horribly mess up their life or is that in some way something that was going to occur for a particular reason to learn or what is it predetermined you're yeah, saying? Yeah, essentially, yeah. I don't know. And okay. this is yeah. where, I mean, the church would say no. The church is, is going to say, no, we're free individuals, we're free beings, and all that kind of stuff. If you read, you know, philosophy of time and things of that nature, I don't know if you saw the movie, uh, what was it, Arrival? Hmm. Did you see that movie? Yes, yes, yes. Did you ever see the... The, the, the big twist at the, the end? No, the thing at the end, there's a, a, a thing where they talk to the director about, or maybe it was a philosopher afterwards talking about time. And he said one of the things that they've kind of developed now is this idea that time has already happened, that everything that happens has already been basically figured out, and that what we're, there's no way of changing it, basically. It happened in, in a certain way. And whatever. I don't understand it enough to be able to explain it real well. But I do love that movie, and one of the things about it is that uh, you see kind of God's perspective on things, and... Uh, in terms of choices and, and things like that. And the person in the movie is willing to go through suffering, terrible suffering, in order to be have this child uh, come forth, you know, in, in, in her life, even though it will cause her terrible suffering. And in a way, that's what God does with us, you know. God is basically agreeing to being with us through the suffering in order to make something wonderful happen from it. God, I, we, you know, we, we end up dying, all of us, and yet that's not the end. That's what our faith is telling us. And so uh, the question about making wrong choices, I don't know if I would put it that way. God will use the wrong choices to save you. Hmm. So uh, a teacher of mine put it this way. She said, the Bible is that work that says where there is no way, God makes a way. So in other words, wherever there's sin, sin is basically a turning away from God and what God plans for us and a closing of doors. God says, fine, you do that, that's great. I'm going to open this window and I'm going to open this other door and I'm going to create a door where you've, you've closed it off with a, with a wall you know, or something like that. God will take what we... God will say, you know what? I am going to lead us to salvation no matter what. Now, you can join in on that and help, or you can hinder, but we're still going to salvation hmm. because I'm God, <laughs> wow. and that's what I desire for everyone, and that's the best. Hmm. So that's, that's what you have, to, you have to realize. Even when you make wrong choices, for example, if I had chosen not to come to Australia, 
God would have been saying, you know what, I'm all right with that. It's not what I wanted for you, maybe, or whatever. I'll work with it. Mm-hmm. We give God what we can, and oftentimes it's very selfish stuff. <laughs> it's very little, you know, because we don't believe that God is that good. We don't trust it. We don't believe that God can use us. Maybe we don't trust ourselves. Uh, and we worry that we won't have enough. You know, if I give God everything, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose out. It's like, you know, you've got so much money in the bank. and you, You've got to count it out and make sure that you have enough to pay all the bills. That's what we do with our lives. We've got to and have enough just in case I need it. So we always keep back some from God. Hmm. God says, you know what? All right, take give me your two fish and five loaves. I'll, I'll make it work. <laughs> Even though you're keeping back four loaves and, you know, a dozen fish for yourself and your family, I'll take the two fish and five loaves and I'll make it enough for everyone here. Hmm. That's what God does. That's just what God does. And he doesn't do it once. He does it over and over and over and over and over again. And that's what we're celebrating. I mean, as we're coming into Holy Week, this is being, this is being taped the week before <laughs> Palm Sunday. Uh, this is what Palm Sunday, this is what Easter is all about. We give God the worst. We kill God, kill his son, hang him on a cross in front of his mother, naked, no less, shaming the whole family. Widowed mother, no other children. We do this, and God says, "Fine, you give me that. I'll make it something. I'll make it something wonderful. You'll see. Mm. So much so that you kiss it on Good Friday. <laughs> you kiss the image of death, shame, and destruction, and you say it's glorious. That's beautiful. That's God. Yeah. And that's what God does over. Not just there. That's the thing. That's what makes God God. It's not just in that situation. The whole point of the cross that we hang it in the church is to say." If God can do that with that person, then what about my life and those crosses in my life? If God can do that with that one, then it must be true in my life as well. That's the whole point of hanging that cross there. So that when you are going on the cross, which is often in our world, because we have loss, we have disappointment, we have sin, we have death, we have sickness, uh, you don't despair. And this is where faith comes in. You say, God, I don't know where you're leading me, but if it happened to Jesus and it was okay, it's okay if it happens to me too. Mm. And as a matter of fact, Paul writes in those letters, he goes, you're going to have it too. You know, take up your, and Jesus says it himself, take up your cross and follow me. Mm. That's what it's all about. So, so with, with this element of faith, like when we talk about the difficulties of life and the, the you know the, the difficult things that happened the things we've done in our past all those things right all the negative things essentially through faith through this this hope um, it can be transformed and, and used for something good or is that kind of along the lines say or, that again what's the question be more specific yeah I'll be specific. I'll guess it. let's burn it down to the essence okay. what is your question the essence of my question is that we can take any negative in our life, any difficulty, yeah. any like, we'll call it sin, yes, right? any struggle, anything you've done in the past, mm-hmm. and that can be used and transformed into something beautiful, into something good. Okay. Is that, is that what we're saying or is that... I'm saying that that will happen because of who God is, not because of us. Okay. You you keep saying we we can take this. We it's not we who do this. It's God who does this. Mm. God will say, "I will use even your sins 
And he says this in a letter. Paul says that Christ has made our sin. He said that. Christ, the sinless one, becomes sin and nails that to the cross. In other words, he's saying he takes all of our sins and uses that then to transform us. Does that mean then we go around sinning and no problems? That's not what he's saying. And, that, and he says no. That doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is that God, it, it shows us the grandeur of God to be able to take what we would find uh, either disgusting, uh, embarrassing, offensive, sinful, uh, wrong. I mean, we can name it all the negative qualities we, we can imagine. God will say, I take all of that and I will transform it. Mm. I can transform it if you allow me to. That's the thing. We can choose not to. We can turn away. And God will, will honor our choices and say, fine, you can turn away from me if you want. That's up, that's your, I'm giving you that gift because I want the freedom, I want you to have the freedom to love me or not, and it's up to you. Now, I think we will have a hard time not loving God, especially if we realize who God really is. And that's the part of the problem right now in the, in the world today is that most of the people who are out there who don't go to church don't really know God. They don't know this God. They know what the church has presented, which is often judgmental, uh, condemning, uh, off-putting. But if you realize, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about it. Jesus sat and ate with sinners. He sat and ate with the people that the church would have rejected back then if the church were around at the time of Jesus. Mm -hmm. He was the one. And it's like, these are the... And now we've got, you know, uh, this woman in the United States killed those children at a school that was Christian because she was transgender and she didn't like what they were teaching there about transgender people. Hmm. And I think how sad that this, uh, you know, it's, it, it, again, just, and then what, do, what does God do with that? I don't know what God will do with that. Maybe God will use that to transform how we see people and how we deal with people who are different, especially as a church. Hmm. I don't know. It's so... Um it's, it's difficult. I think there's that element around the kind of mystery of evil that we'll never fully understand. That's true. Um, but, the, but the next thing I, w I would ask you, Padre, because you, like in your role, it is everything to do with, with people. You are surrounded by people. People come to you at their lowest and probably at their highest mm -hmm. as well. Yep. Um, you see people in all different forms, in all different ways. And from your understanding, what is, oh, I don't want to say, like I'll say it, but like, what's the go with people? <laughs> I know what do you mean? That's a really general... I don't know what you mean by go. Let's, okay. I'll, I'll use try a different to, verb. I'll try to spit, yeah, I'll use a more uh, understandable one. But like, what do, what do people, what moves people, what, what do people need? And, and and how do you work with people? What moves people? Well, a good story moves people. And Jesus knew that, which is why he was always telling stories. It says, it says in the Bible, uh, there's several places in the Bible where it says, Jesus wouldn't speak to the people except in parables. And... Uh, I forget what else it said. It's something like that in another part as well. Only in parables, Jesus would talk to them. 
In his own disciples, he would explain to them, but when he was out among the people, he would only spoke, speak to them in parables. And that's because a, a good story is what moves people. We love good stories. That's why movies are so uh, important right now, because that's our storytelling mechanism, really. More people, I think, go to movies than they do read books. Uh, people don't have time for books or whatever. But a good story, my gosh, you know, and especially stories about homecoming, those are the ones that, like, you know, at the end when the dog gets home after being away for months and months and months, you know, it brings a tear to your eye and chokes you up. It's our stories. We all want to come home. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of stuff that moves people. In terms of people dealing with people, I think you have to go wherever people are. And um, don't expect them to come to you. You have to be where they are, not they have to go where you want them to be. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. I think a lot of times, um, and this is me being judgmental and nasty sometimes, uh, I think a lot of priests these days, uh, they don't like to go where the people are. I mean, St. Francis, uh, St. Francis, Pope Francis, future saint maybe, said it himself where he says, you've got to smell like the sheep, right? Pastors should smell like their sheep. Yeah. And what he means is you've got to be out among them. You can't just be in your office and expect people to come to you. You've got to be out among them. And, um, you know, that's what I think you to be a good pastor is you've, you've got to go and see the people where they live and how they live and, and, and then be there for them in that, wherever they are. Some of them are faithful Catholics and go to church every Sunday. Some of them aren't, and that's okay. you still got to love them, mm. and you still got to be there for them. And sometimes it's hard because there's a lot of people in a parish and very few priests. And um, like in Kellyville, we have two schools. That's really... It's very difficult to be there for all those kids in the school and everything. And a lot of times I'll be out doing things and people come up to me, Hi, Father, I see you. And I'm like, I don't remember this person at all. And they're treating me like they know me really well. <laughs> and that's because they've seen me either in school or in church or something like that. <laughs> it's like, okay. But Padgett, come to think of it, I ran into the other day and you <laughs> forgot my name. I'm kidding. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Who are you? Who's this guy? That's um, I, I love I. That's so that's so interesting to be among the people. Might I ask? Like sometimes I find it difficult to be. Like it's obviously easier to be with you know with with certain people. Sometimes mm. it's difficult to be with other people. Mm. How how do you open your your heart up to that? How do you you go out into the world? Um, you know, knowing that maybe sometimes you could be hurt by particular people, knowing that sometimes people criticize, or knowing sometimes they're just mm. different people to you. Mm. How, how do you be among that? Well, I think you do your best, and you realize that you're never going to get it 100%. <laughs> and that you, I mean, Jesus says that you have to love uh, your neighbor and love even your enemies. He doesn't say you have to like them. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a difference between love and like. Wow. Okay. So like means that, you know, we're simpatico, we're friends and all that kind of stuff. I like you, Jacob. You're a good man. Uh, we're friends and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I love you as a brother. Okay. But love is more than the feelings of romantic feelings or, or attraction. It's also having to do with uh, wishing the best of another person respecting another person even when they don't respect you 
um, and imagining the best in terms of what they're saying. Try to turn, because a lot of times when you don't like somebody, they'll say something to you and you'll take it wrong because you just assume it was twisted or whatever. And it might be true that it is that way, that they're saying it to be mean or whatever, but uh, a, when you love someone, you try to imagine that they were either ignorant of their actions and didn't realize it hurt you what they said, or, or that they weren't really understanding what you were saying or something like that. That's where you think the best of the person's intentions. Um, so that's the difference, and we're called to love. So when you're with people, you have to try to love them, which means you try to see them as God sees them. And that means that you think the best of them and you, you know, what, what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm being redundant here, but... I don't always like everybody. Jesus didn't like the people who were nailing him to the cross, but he loved them. Mm. Okay? Jesus didn't like the Pharisees, how they acted, but he loved them still enough to die for them. Mm. And that's what we're called to do, I think, as Christian people. Well, that feels a lot more Im empowering, I guess, in the sense that, you know, I guess you can't help who who you like and who you, who you don't. And you will be attracted to certain people and you'll be un repulsed by certain people but then at the same time you can always extend out and strengthen that that muscle of, of yes of you can try um and god will help you with that i mean i remember when i was a young priest i had to go visit this guy in his house and his house was horrible i mean it was just an old rundown house he was a bit of a clutter bug so he had stacks of newspapers in it and you know, you were wondering if you're going to find a dead cat under the couch or something that had been there for 20 years and whatever. And he was uh, grossly overweight, and uh, he had really big sausage fingers. I mean, it was just, it was gross. And going there, I was repulsed by him. His physical appearance was just repulsive, you know. But I, a couple of times, I would listen. I'd come out there, and we, he would tell me the story of his life. And when I got to know about his life about his his daughter and his faith life and and everything like that um you grow in love with these people that you know saint francis of assisi said this too where he was he was repulsed by lepers he would often as a young man he would say in uh, in the biography about him uh, that he would run the other way when he would see the lepers or he'd throw rocks at them to get them to go you know to go away they were coming begging, you know. Uh, they smelled bad, they looked awful, and they were uh, contagious. You, you didn't want to catch this terrible disease because you'd have to leave the city and your family and all that. Uh, but then he said later on that what was, what was bitter had turned sweet with the Lord. And that eventually he even like kissed the leper on the lips. And that's how, you know, how much he loved this because he could see Christ in this person. And he, he, his ministry was bathing the lepers. Oh, he would take care of, you know, washing them clean and making sure that they were, you know, these people who nobody loved. He would go and love them. Wow. So, I mean, you know, uh, but it was a process because there's a, actually a part in later on in his life where he was approached by a leper for food and he shooed him away. And then he repented over having done that after. And this was after he had started the order and went back and found the leper and brought him over and ate, ate supper with the leper, you <laughs> know. Uh, so it's a process, and it's not easy, because we're naturally attracted to certain things. I like vanilla ice cream more than chocolate, 
Uh, you know, I could I could like chocolate if I learned to like it, but I'm more attracted to vanilla and caramel than chocolate. Mm, 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 mm. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means I'm human and I have certain things in my life, my history, that makes me more leaning towards these kinds of people versus those kinds of people. Yeah, yeah. And some kinds of people are going to remind me of things in my past that I don't like, and therefore I won't like them initially because... I'll be bringing in my own story into the conversation that, you know. So, so this this kind of love thing, it's <laughs> I don't know. I just casually, flippantly just talk about love, mm. but it's a um. It's not like it's you get it once and it's perfect. It's it's no. a continual continual growing, growing. And, and we don't always get it. No, yeah, I know. And oftentimes you walk away feeling like, oh, didn't do such a good job of loving that person. <laughs> I messed up that time. Yeah, or, or yeah. I couldn't stand that person. Or I mean, and it, the sad thing is, it happens even while at mass. You'll see certain people walk in, and you're like, oh, I hate that person. And you're thinking, <laughs> I'm at mass. I'm at the sacrament of reconciliation, of love, a love feast, agape. You know. Human lo love, the highest form of love. And I hate that person. I'm <laughs> at the altar looking out. It's terrible. I'm embarrassed to say that, but you know, this is a podcast in which we talk about truths, and <laughs> this is my truth in the sense of, you know, I'm human, and there are certain people that I just don't like. Mm. They haven't been very nice to me, and I just don't like them. Yeah. And well, it happens. You know, it's um, it's kind of, it's actually quite comforting because. I think sometimes, and I, I don't know, this is the thing about you, Padre. You've always kept it authentic. You've always real. kept it real. Yeah. But just because you've kept it authentic and real doesn't mean you've used it as a way of, like, you know, not actually improving and not, not you know, like, yeah. you know, something yeah. I'm, I'm 100% real. This is yeah. me, but I'm <laughs> Take pizza. it or leave it. I hate pizza. And Take I, it or leave it. I roll, you know, I'm mean <laughs> to my friends, you know, yeah. like, but, but I, I feel... Like I was always able to connect to to the church, to to my religion, to my faith. Yeah. When I when I met you and, and through your ministry, because you always did keep it authentic, you kept it real, and and the standard that was in my head was kind of dropped and replaced for God wants me for for who I am right now, mm. and and let's bring that in. Mm. And I think it's difficult to be authentic out out in the world, you know. So I'd I'd ask you what. What is the reason why you're authentic? What What's authenticity to you? Well, I think, I don't know. I don't, I, I guess I don't think of myself as authentic in the way that you, I don't know, maybe, maybe I do. Uh, I, I just think that people can tell when you're not real. Mm. And I don't like that. And I don't think that people connect when you're not real. I can remember uh, homilies by priests that just talk about things that are in the head and I just didn't find them very helpful at all or just not real inspiring. Um, I think when you talk about, and this is maybe going back to the wisdom stuff, your own experiences, people can relate to that. You know, People can relate to experiences of having to move to another country, especially here in Australia where most of the people here are from other countries or, or their families of origin are. Uh, the feelings that come with that People can relate to that. You know, uh, I'm going to preach on this this weekend on, on Sunday about having to come, you know, here I am at the end of my stay here in Australia and Jesus comes to the end of his life. And while it's not the same thing, it is in a way because I'm, I'm, there's a part of me that's dying when I leave here. It will be dying 
in order to open up to something new that I wouldn't be able to open up to if I stayed here. And so I think those are feelings that everyone has at different points in their life. And if they can hear somebody talk about it, and this is why it's so important that women get a chance to talk about things. Because, you know, if we're all getting only male perspective on stuff, then the whole women and their wisdom isn't being heard. Mm. And that's why it's, if we can somehow in the church allow women to step forward and preach, or at least give reflections, I think that would do a whole lot better for the church in general. Um, I'm not talking about ordination and all that kind of stuff. That, that I don't think is available at the moment. But if they could come up and share their reflections on the gospel, women who have been educated in scripture and have had their own experiences of church, I think that would be very, very helpful. Mm. Getting, getting authentic experiences of women, because all you're getting now is men. Yeah. And men can't relate sometimes, can't share everything that a woman is going through because mm. their experiences are very different than ours. And, and you know, funnily enough, sometimes, like me as a man, a, a woman's perspective or a, a feminine perspective is sometimes what, what you need. And sometimes you need, you need like, well, to hit it on both sides. Jacob, fronts, you, you know? often turn to your mother, don't you, for answers? I do, I do. <laughs> More than your sister. father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's why, because you know they've got wisdom in them <laughs> that is important to be heard. You know, yeah. And you, you know, your father will give you this dope slap upside the head, but your mother, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> will listen. <laughs> Dad, Dad's um, he's always been stable, yeah. Um, just loving, and mm. he keeps things very simple. Mm. Um, and he just says. Oh, it's okay. Get on a foot, press on a foot, Jacob. And yeah. you know, I'm starting to appreciate more of Dad's wisdom yes. these days. But I guess Mum, she she's able to kind of mm. work into the intricacies of things a bit more, and mm. you know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, have we come to the end? I think we have. Was there anything that you wish that I um that I haven't asked you? Um, what is my fitness routine? Oh, we'll go straight to that. We go. No, I was also prefacing. I was also prefaced because before the podcast, we were walking, um, and I asked Patrick what what was the one thing was it was anything off the table. I said, just don't ask about my waistline. <laughs> but ironically, this guy is like the fittest fifty eight year old you'll oh ever know. Oh my gosh! So I, he, I've gone for runs with him, and he's just he's hammered me. He's he's just like you know, <laughs> oh run, 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 run. He's a, yeah. Well, it's important to keep your body fit. Yeah. So eat your salad, lots of vegetables, spinach in particular, and kale, and uh, try and get out and enjoy, especially the, the beauty of nature here in Australia. That's important. That's all I'll say. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Padre. It has been an absolute honor <laughs> and a privilege okay. and right. a pleasure. Yes. Long away. Likewise here. And, and uh, God bless to everyone listening. Thank you, everyone. If you want to um, learn more about um, Padre, get in touch with me and I'll see what we can do. So.